0: Welcome to the Life After Bliss podcast. I'm Thomas. And I'm John. And we are in the lab here today.
1: We are here. We actually haven't recorded for a couple of weeks now, so this is us coming back, which is kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. We're uh, refreshed. We're sharp. We're feeling good. Do you feel good? I do, yeah. Deep breaths in, deep breaths out. It's not at all rusty. I mean, we're, we're good. We're ready, rested. I
1: honestly feel like the entire world is kind of falling apart a little bit, like, like you have this election thing and the Democrats and Republicans that are fighting back and forth, the impeachment thing. You have the, uh, coronavirus. the coronavirus. Yeah, there you go. Well, you know what? Our executive producer has been trying to get us a uh, uh, an interview with one of the guys on the uh, on the uh, Japanese Over phone, right? You're yeah. not bringing them into the yeah <laughs> <laughs> but
0: the
1: the Japanese princess uh, cruise ship or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So we've been like communicating with some of those people, which is interesting. But yeah, it's kind of weird. Like the whole world seems like it's uh, shaking up almost. Like like there's something. There's a lot of tension right now in the world. It's just, do you, do you sense that at all?
0: I do, but also, like this is the end of February, and I always feel very pent up. It's like March is coming, spring is coming, and I'm just like ready. I know in a couple weeks, everything's going to be beautiful.
1: Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, I just got back a couple days ago from Colorado, and I got to go skiing or snowboarding out in Colorado, and tonight our topic is on redemption, of all things. And I feel like every time I get to go snowboarding in Colorado, it's a it's a redeeming of my body. And it, here's why: because I don't think I'm worthy to do those things. Like like my body shouldn't be able to to go up the slopes and go down the slopes and and all those things. Like it's twisting and contorting in, in ways I shouldn't be doing things. And
0: just because you're old. Is yeah, your, pretty okay. much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
1: feel the the weight of that all the time, but. Um, yeah, like it's uh, and, but but when I get to go out there I get to visit my brother and sisters and stuff like that, or sister and brothers. And uh yeah, so we're talking about redemption tonight. That's really a bad story for redemption. <laughs> it's it's
0: terrible for, for redemption, it really especially is. yeah, but, but we might know somebody who has a better story we do. for redemption. We, we do, and we brought um
1: our guest.
0: Our guest, our very special guest. Yes,
1: we have James Bolden Senior, and I guess there's a junior, right, James? Oh yeah, it's a junior. There has to be a junior, yeah. Um, here in the studio and uh, James is going to tell us his story and uh, we're just going to walk through that together and uh, James lives here in the uh, St. Louis County, St. Louis area and uh, if you know anything about St. Louis, we have uh, got a lot of tension that happens in St. Louis. We have a lot of kind of race relations that happen here. There's, uh, there's a Ferguson that happened a number of years ago and, uh, and out of all that mess and debacle, you have individuals and you have personal stories of humanity happening in the middle of these like trying times, if you will. Um, yeah. So, so we're gonna, I, I, I know your story plays into that a little bit, but we'll, we'll talk about James's story here. So, James is 44 years old. And, oh, James, where do you work? What do you do?
2: Oh, actually, I am the, the mid of what is it? <laughs> Yeah, I gotta forgive me on this one. That's all right. The that's all right. The admin administrator for the treasury office.
0: Oh, okay. The C- treasury
2: office of city of St. Louis.
0: Oh, wow. He's, that's a professional. We know
1: somebody. We don't. We never had a professional on this show before. <laughs> Welcome.
2: Well, I'm gonna put it like this: It's a grace of God, you know, that I received this job because, like I told my boss when I first got hired, well, a week or two after I got hired, my resume basically talks about, you know customer service okay you don't talk about nothing that I do on a daily basis so
1: you don't feel really qualified but but for some reason you became qualified because now you're in the spot now right okay cool well you know what I've had jobs like that too before where I felt zero qualifications I
0: haven't been qualified for anything in my life (laughs) I mean it's I think about being like a parent like you just come in and you just go home with a kid, and it doesn't even matter. Like, nobody checked my qualifications. I didn't have to do anything. And they're just like, take this thing home.
1: Yeah, that's that's the beauty of, of being a parent. Like, you have to, you know, do one thing, and then all of a sudden you're a parent. <laughs> you know, yeah, and it's that's, over. That's
0: a, yeah, there, there should be some sort of license or something there's, they require.
1: Thank God there's not, because no. we wouldn't qualify. No, I definitely <laughs> wouldn't sure. yeah. so, uh, so James has a story of something that happened his, in his life. Um, I guess it happened when you were in your in your late 30s. And so, tell me, what have you been doing all your life? What 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 is your life like right now? Like, what what have you? Uh, did you did you go to college somewhere?
2: Yes, I actually went to Miami University, but I ended up transferring due to uh, an accident. Okay, why? What kind of
1: accident did you have?
2: Well, I was actually the story we're gonna talk about is similar, but I oh. was shot.
1: You were shot. Right. Oh my goodness! Where were you shot? What?
2: Twice in the back and once in the thigh.
1: Was it was it uh, was it somebody you knew? Usually, no. somebody you know.
2: It was me taking someone to see another person and that individual didn't say she had a, another love interest. Oh my so you know how that story goes. So it's
0: like a, a love triangle is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. And, you were, and I was
2: an innocent bystander.
0: Yeah, which which happens all too often. And and I, I read a little bit about your your story and, and you were kind of a big track star before that, right? Right. Yeah, so that was that was in and of itself a, a big shock.
1: So that changed your, your career, changed your track record. You just stopped running after that, I'm guessing.
2: Yeah, I tried, but it didn't feel the same. You know, when when you earn something, you, you want to be the best at what you do. And especially coming from an inner city, going to a county school, and you earn that scholarship and then one mistake just ended all.
0: So and it, and it wasn't even your mistake. Right. You're and just it wasn't wrong. My wrong place, wrong time. Right. Wow. So was that here in St. Louis, or was that? That was actually else?
2: here in St. Louis.
1: Okay. So you you were shot in the back a couple times in St. Louis. Right. How long did it take to recover from that whole thing?
2: About a good six months. Wow.
1: Yeah. That's. I wouldn't even. That's so foreign to 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 our world. Honestly. Yeah. Um, You know, I was. I'll go into that a little bit, but I was reading. No, i will go into it now. I was reading a statistic about uh, the amount of uh, shootings we have in America has like had like 10,000 last year, 10,000 deaths, shooting deaths. Yeah. And you go and look at the other countries, and it's like 50, 85, you know, 90 in Japan or whatever it is. And you're like, you know, even if that statistic is, you know, even doubled or, you know, half of what it says, that's crazy. Yeah. Those numbers are insane. 10,000 deaths in America from shooting.
0: Anyways. Hey, we, we love our guns here. I read an st- right. th- interesting statistic along those lines that, out of all the countries we have the most guns we have 101 guns per 100 people so Mm -hmm. like in america Everybody gets a gun and then we got an extra one. It's fine. Well, just, I'm happy to say.
1: Case. I'm happy to say I'm bringing down the average cuz I have zero guns. How many do you
0: have, Thomas? I've just got one on each side of my body over here, <laughs> right and left from all those gym curls, baby. I don't think those count. Okay, but no. I appreciate No, but the, the next closest it was like, you know, a Middle Eastern country and it was like 52 per 100. It's like we got more than twice as much guns as anybody else per capita you know, in the for, world.
1: For people we, we supposedly we believe in God and and you know, supposedly we live in freedom. But for having that freedom, we sure don't act like it. You know, like like we take that freedom to the next level and it's actually become a curse to us. If, you know, if we truly believe, you know, it's like we live by fear, not by freedom.
0: Well, who, who's does your trust lie in, right? Like, yeah. does it lie well, in your yeah. nine on on the side of your thigh or does, just, it, does it lie in, in your Lord, you know?
1: Just last week here in St. Louis, I'm not sure if you heard the story, James, but a little girl went into her house in the city and she, uh, she opened the door up. And uh, her dad was there, and he sensed something was happening. He grabs a gun and takes a shot, and and kills his daughter between the eyes. Shoots her one time right between the eyes, and uh, and that was it.
2: Well, I you know I try to keep up with majority of the stories, but that's a new one for me.
1: Yeah, that happened just like a couple of like he, literally. A he couple was days trying ago. to shoot at something else, or he, he thought, thought that he, she was. He thought there was an intruder coming in his yeah, house, yeah, and so and, tragic. you know he it was tragic. But I mean. That's, you know, like if somebody starts walking in my house, like I, I go to the front door because I assume it's you or I assume it's somebody someone I know, you know, yeah. like, but I, mean, I know we live in different worlds, yeah. but
0: that's don't, crazy. Don't give much. out your address, John, now that you've told everyone. It's like, <laughs> I'll welcome you with cookies. Let's so right. not do that. Sometimes I do that. Yeah. So, so James, you're, you get shot then and you drop out of college. What happens next in your life?
2: Well, actually I didn't drop out of college. Oh, you didn't? Okay. I actually finished. I kind of focus more on my books. So it was like. What can I do? So that's when I start jumping into computer, you know, computer science, and just start learning as much as I could. And that's what I do today. I just read, learn, just multi trades.
1: So that's the way you uh, you uh, kind of bounce back, as you literally put your energies back into focusing on something of value, and you wanted the education. And obviously you wanted the education to kind of put yourself in a better spot to take care of your family and everything else. right. Um, I guess you weren't married back in college. so no. when did you uh, when did you jump into married life or when did you start? Actually that
2: stuff? I jumped into marriage life when I was about, I say about 22 that's when I had James Jr.. Yeah, but it was more of it wasn't like out of love for the mother it was for the child sure if if you guys understand it's a standard story oh yeah
1: yeah I mean you feel like compelled especially if you're born in Christian culture like you feel compelled to to get married to the person that you've had a child with and so um, you're kind of a fear based almost a little bit
0: well you wouldn't be there for them I mean you're, you're trying to make the best decision you can you love the child I mean it's it's a tricky thing
1: it's a yeah it's really tricky so uh, were you married to her for a long time? Are you still married no, to her it right was,
2: now? It was, it was more of we got annulment six months later. You know, she found another love interest and just up and disappeared. Oh my. So it was just me and James. That was it. Oh, she left you with she James. She just, just left me with the baby. You,
1: you know, honestly, that's kind of a bonus. I mean, I'm not saying that's good, but uh, most women get the rights to the kids mostly. And so that you were left with a son, it's a lot of work. But... but it's kind of cool that you got your son.
2: Yeah, it was cool, but at the same time, it was hard. Oh, I bet. You know oh, what man. I'm saying? Because imagine. just turning 22, had an injury, fresh out of school. And then when you sit back and you think about it, it was a blessing. But he was the one that taught me how to be a father in the beginning. Yeah. Because I had to learn how to change diapers, this, this, and that. And I got sisters that's, you know, of age that's grown, you know. They kids basically grew up with me, and I was sitting trying to get an understanding, and they was like, do it. I'm like, do it? What do you mean, do it? Can't do it. It was hard to keep a job. You know what I'm saying? It it was just hard. So you were
1: uh, 22 then, and now you're 44, so you have a like a 21, 22-year-old son. Right. And how many other kids do you have?
2: Actually, I had... Total, I have seven.
1: Seven kids. Wow. I'm 44, too, by the way, and I have one kid, and it's kicking my butt.
2: <laughs> well, I'll put it like this. After after I um had the annulment, the divorce or whatever, I was just out doing what I had to do. You asked the question about how long I was a single father. I was a single father with James until he was like seven and a half years old. At work, get a letter, you know, saying I had to come to court. I had to turn him over. It wasn't no explanations. His mother just wanted to have him back in his life, and then all of a sudden she disappeared. Wait, at
0: seven and a half, she wanted the
2: kid back. <laughs> she hadn't been she, in the kids no kids contact
0: at all. for that seven and a half years. She's no gone and no nothing. She can't do that. She, well, she, she we'll see. Let's see. So she tried to do that. Then what happened?
2: Well, she turned around. The courts made me turn him over, or whatever. And like I said, she disappeared. I didn't have no contact no whereabouts of where James was for four years. What happened was, for me being an alumni at Lindbergh High School, I got a letter in the mail, and it stated what was going on. So come to find out, my son was being abused by his mother and his stepfather. So I immediately, like, you know, trying to go to court, went to court for three years trying to get my son but I was dealing with different females at the same time. I really wasn't focused. It was more of getting stable. If I deal with this female, maybe i get stable. But it didn't turn out like that.
1: So you kind of felt like um, like a woman in your life would bring about stability, and so you sought that um and it never kind of did is what you're saying. Right. And so you and you were kind of hoping for that not only for yourself but also for your son as well.
0: Right. That probably would have helped in the courts I got to think like right. having that nuclear family that they could right. they could bring him in.
2: And it, and it was it was more of at the time the the person that I was dealing with just wasn't the right person cuz when she kind of found out that I had a you know an older child everything just went haywire. Everything just blew up, you know, we Everything good. I have my other children. Things going good. So I'm curious, like, how can
1: your, your uh, ex-wife come in and not have any contact for seven and a half years and all of a sudden win full custody of your child? Like, how is that possible? Like, how can the courts do that? Or was there a bad living situation at home? Well, or I wasn't, was there something I going on?
2: I wasn't stable. Okay. And then, two, Missouri is a motherly state. So it doesn't matter if... if we say what we say, do what we do. As men, it doesn't matter what color you are. If that woman put up a, a good enough fight, she yeah. gonna win regardless.
0: Yeah, especially yeah. 15 years ago. I Man, yeah, that's yeah. The, the, thank God, thank God, the laws
1: changed since then. Right. I know it has because I I got full. Sorry, I got half custody of my child, and so yeah, that, and,
0: that's really been like the last 10 years though that some of that has really changed to become more neutral.
1: Thank God. Thank God. But so, so you lost full custody. You went from having your kid 24-7 to not seeing the kid for, for how long?
2: Four years. Four years. So
0: that includes the few years you were, you were dating a few other women, and mm-hmm. that, that include, overlaps those four years. Right. Okay. And so the end of that four years, how did that resolve?
2: Basically, it came to a decision. When um, I was getting in the process of getting my son, and I didn't have, you know, when the, the young girl I was dating, I was going to school. I was going to Vatarot to get my um, uh, engineer license for electric, electrical. Mm-hmm. And I was staying with my sister after she basically got the police involved in all this type of stuff. I went to my aunt and was like, I don't want to lose my son to the courts, you know, because when, when I was younger, I watched my mother die. And when I said about my siblings, they were all like in fresh out of high school brother going to the military, my other brother going to college, sister going to college. They didn't have time for a little kid. It was like I was left in the dark. So I knew how the system was because I had to go, if you familiar with uh, St. Louis City, there's a court that you have to go to on Vender that you gotta see, you know, I had to see once a week. So when I asked my aunt, can she take my son so I won't lose him to the system, She didn't agree right off, but I needed her to do it, like, ASAP. Because if I didn't get a yes, he was immediately already ready to be shipped out. So she agreed to do it, and then he actually was with her. Wow. So another battle started. Yeah. The battle started with my aunt.
1: You and your aunts.
2: Right. I mean, it it was so bad that my son was being told that I didn't want to be in his life. I didn't love him. You know, just... Everything you can think of, you can say wrong to a person. So it got to the point my son started doing things as he got older.
1: At what age are we talking here?
2: Uh, He started doing things when he was maybe about 14, 15, because he's a graduate from Lafayette. When you
1: say doing things, do you mean like making bad choices? He was making
2: choices to get out.
1: To to leave your aunt's house. Right. Okay, so how much access did you have while the kid was at the aunt's house? Limited. Okay, so like it was based on... Her schedule, not yours, because right. you wanted to be there as a dad. Right, but she just kind of put a wall up and said right. you can't be here because of whatever reason. Right, because I guess she saw you maybe as unstable still. Is that why or?
2: That's probably how she looked at it. But I was raising other kids at the same time.
1: Okay, like kids from other women.
2: No, these these were well, other you might say other women, but they were my children. Yeah, sure. And um, I think. Around that time, I had just met my wife that I'm married to today okay I've been married to her for nine years.
1: That's a success right there, so
2: yeah. she's been my rock besides God. She's been that one that pushed me that i mean when I say push, every man got a moment when they wanna just give up, and she won't let me give up to this day. So one day, my aunt dropped my son off, and he knocked on the door. And I'm like, what are you doing here? You know, you know I can't be around you because of the, you know, the court order. So he told me what was going on. So I get to the point we go up to the court so you know she can sign his her rights over back to me. But what she failed to realize, everything she was telling the courts about me is what caused me not to get them. So when I say my son started doing things, he starts stealing from the schools. He starts stealing from her. To the point he got um, put in Job Corps. When he got put in Job Corps, he was at a point where he's he was mad at the world. You know what I'm saying? My son know God. He, he 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 know the Bible front to back. But he he needed. He felt if he did what he had to do to get out, that's what he was gonna do. Right now, my son go to CBU University, Christian Baptist University, up in uh, Riverside, California. Okay. This is junior year in college.
1: So let's let's go back. To this that's that's. It sounds like there's a lot of redemption oh, yeah. that happened right there, <laughs> yeah. but um, let's go back to that story. So 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 basically, your son is around 14 or 15, and he gets dropped off at your front door. Mm-hmm. And this is when you're in. Are you in a relationship at this time? Or with my wife? Wait. So you've been married at this point in time right. to your your current <laughs> wife. And so that's pretty awesome. Um, so, so she saw that you were stable, mm-hmm. and she basically backtracked on everything she had said before. Mm-hmm. And so then she, you were able to move forward with your son. That's, that's wild. So you got, to see, you got to be there with him throughout his high school years, I guess.
2: Well, not really. Okay. It was, still, it was still a fight. But now that he's in college, I talk to him more than I did when he was in high school. I seen him once when he was at Job Corps, and then all of a sudden, like a thief in the night, he was gone.
1: Because you were running away from stuff, is what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, he
2: basically, he told me when he was leaving, but he decided that instead of letting Dad ship him off for college, he just left. So when I got the first phone call from him, it was more of me trying to pay a debt that he he created. And... We got into a heated argument, and he said, well, I'm a man. I said, okay, if you're a man, prove you're a man. We just started talking in here. Yeah. That was two years ago. Wow. But see, the thing about it is you left with a full-ride scholarship and $10,000 in your pocket, and you want me to get you a $6,000 loan to pay your debt? I couldn't do that. See, when I, when, when we went, go back in this story. Is where, like I said, it was just me going through the courts, doing this, doing that. Um. When I left my grandmother's house, I was 17 years old.
1: So you started life when you were 17 years old?
2: Right, but work didn't start until I was 12 and a half years old. Back then, you can get a work permit. And I've been, you know, they had, what, Operation Brightside. Now it's, what, Slate and all these other different names. Man, I got tax papers all the way from 12 years old. Wow. And that's all I know is to work. Right. So it's like when I go see other people and I and like when you was talking earlier about how the world and the president and all these things, in my eyes, and this is just my opinion, I think the world just flipped upside down. I think people just going crazy. For no apparent reason. It ain't nothing but just anger. A lot of people just angry. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of that. So let's go back to your story. We we actually kind of didn't even talk about one of the most pressing things that happened in uh, James's life. So back in 2015, something really important happened. Um, Walk us through that. First off, in 2015, how many kids did you have then?
2: I had six. You
1: had six kids. With one on the way. Okay, so six kids with one on the way. Are they all your biological kids? I
2: have five biological kids. Two of them was by marriage, but I've been in their life since they was like, Two and three, or three and four. Okay. So they now twelve and thirteen.
1: Okay, so at uh, in twenty fifteen, you've been married for how many years? At this point, you've been married for about four or five years. Right. Married four or five years, and mm-hmm. something happens to you. This dramatic. What what thing happens to you?
2: Basically, my daughter got killed.
1: Let's let's back it up. How does that How does that even happen? Like what, you're 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 doing? What's the day look like?
2: The day was a Tuesday morning. I was going to renew my contract with uh, MTI, which is a private Jewish school in Chesterfield. I was the um, head cook there. So I kind of started off as like a dishwasher, and then I moved my way up. And when, when I went to go talk to them about the new contract, because what you do, they you know, you hired, but you, 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 you only hired to a certain extent. Some people might get hired for, you know, three, three months six months or a year so I've been there this was like my fourth year there maybe third or fourth year and I earned you know my position I earned my pay raise and everything and they went and they paid for like so many so many million dollar building which is for the deaf and the blind on Clark Road so when the chef he's straight from Israel Jerusalem so his English is very broken so, as he's talking to me, he wanted me to take a pay cut from $16 back to $10. Oh,
0: my goodness.
2: And I started off at $8. And when I say I work from 7 in the morning to 7 at night, I'm not taking no pay cut. Can't yeah, do it. Drastic pay cut, too. That's <laughs> <Right>. crazy. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't do it. So, I told him, you know, yeah, we friends. I thank you for the opportunity for letting me work. But I can't do it. And I walked off. Walked off immediately. Started looking for a job. But in the process of me looking for a job, I'm on Craigslist. My position is on there already. The new one that they just left you? Mm -hmm. Right. I didn't even get a chance to get off the premises. Wow. So when, when that happened, I go home. I tell my wife what's going on. And she told me, don't worry about it. We start praying. All of a sudden, about 8, 9, 9.15, something like that, maybe close to 9.30, I get a phone call. It was my son and daughter's mother.
1: 9.30 at night? Right. Okay.
2: And she was hysterical. I mean, screaming through the phone, telling me uh, Jamila been hurt. But after she said Mila got hurt, the phone instantly just hung up. So I'm trying to call back, call back, find out what's going on. Couldn't get no answer from the cell phone Couldn't get no answer from the work phone Because she worked from home So with that being said The grandfather answered the phone Finally And he said look I need you to get over here Right away Something happened to Jamila At this point I still didn't know What was going on By the time I found out what was going on That's when I found out she got shot Okay,
1: so you were driving over to her house. Right,
2: but before I got over there, yeah, I sped out and I jumped the light Uh-oh. and got pulled over by St. Louis County. Okay. And I'm telling them and explaining to them that I got a phone call that my daughter was shot. He sat me on the back of my van for 30 minutes.
1: Oh, my gosh. it's very disrespectful, yeah.
2: Then he wow. turns around and said, okay, something did happen over there. Take your time getting there. Wow. Normally they give you an escort when something, you Here's know, something rank. bad happens. So I get over there, pull up, see all the tape, all these people out. Um, my daughter's grandmother, she's laying in the driveway crying. I'm running up to the front door, and as I get to the front door, I get grabbed by the shoulder, and I turn around. It was a Ferguson officer. Now, mind you, this just happened a year after all that that turmoil happened out there yeah yeah, yeah. At, after that first incident
0: yeah tensions are high
2: so he tells me i said look i'm 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 yelling where is my daughter where is my daughter and then he like well look we we'll, we'll get the information where your daughter is you just go over there and console the grandmother and i come back and give you the information i said that ain't what i'm here for yeah I want to know where my daughter is. Yeah.
1: How do you console somebody if you don't really know what even happened? Yeah. Right.
2: So when I looked in, I seen all the detectives and things like that, and I went and I talked to the grandmother, asking her was she going to be all right, because right now I need to find where Jamila at. So are you going to be okay? She said, yeah, we gonna, I'm, I'm going to be fine. I see an ambulance in the street, but that wasn't an ambulance that my daughter was in. Mm-hmm. My The ambulance basically already left with my daughter. Sure. So the officer, Officer Kason come back and tell me that she got rushed to Children's Hospital. Now, guys, you tell me this. How is it that I make it to Children's Hospital before my daughter did?
1: No. Wow. Where did, did they stop somewhere on the way, or did they? What What happened? Do you my daughter's
2: body was taken to Christian Hospital uh uh-huh. oh, you mean closer
1: north, northeast of there yes, and, yeah. and near Alton I believe oh, yeah up 367 there but yeah, yeah, yeah
2: when i got down there i didn't know that part when i got there they basically told me they had a jane doe and they and they got her stable to me you telling me my daughter dead i you know i know what jane doe mean so i the the officer had me pull out all my identification just to prove who i was Man, when I tell you that night was bad, it was bad. See, I'm in a better place now that I can tell this story. Sure, but you feel
1: like you're a stranger in your own story. Right, still is. Yeah, I mean, I I get it. Like, Like, when you're in that, what's happening, what's happening, and nobody's giving you any information, and you're just, like, heartbroken, and you're still without any information.
2: So my daughter was misplaced for, like, three and a half hours. One, minute, one hour, they come telling me she's going to get dr- driven in. Another hour, they tell me that she's going to get choppered in. Then around that other hour and 30 minutes, they was like, well, you know, we're we getting ready to go up. But what I saw before they came and told me that was an ambulance pull in, and they immediately cut the lights out. So the doctor told me I can take a few people with me to go upstairs. So we go upstairs. I'm upstairs. Upstairs at the hospital? Yes. At, uh, at, at uh, Children's Hospital? Children. We at, at Children's, children's Hospital. Okay.
1: Yeah. And three hours later three, after? Your-
2: three and a half hours later, wow. her body just get there. So we get up there. I'm there. You know, let's backtrack. I immediately call my clergy, call my niece and another family member. Told everybody was. I need y'all to meet me at the hospital. So
1: what did you know at this point? Like, what did you what had you heard from anybody? That what what did you know that happened besides your daughter was hurt? What what did you know? Nothing.
2: You didn't know anything. Anything. I'm I'm just trying to get to the hospital.
0: So you don't know. You don't know. I mean, whether or not it's it's life threatening. Right. Or I didn't you know, know any of Anything.
2: That. I don't know none of that. Oh my goodness. So when I get there, and you know, we go upstairs, and I'm like, um, where's she at? Where's she at? So basically, they, they get me prepped, you know, the story they tell you, you know, you, you um, when you see her and she come in, I need you to be calm and things like that. When my daughter came in, she was naked. I haven't seen my daughter naked since she was a newborn. And I felt disrespected on her behalf because why would you bring her in there like that? But when my daughter was brought in, my daughter was dead. They shot her with eight needles, made her heart jump. So she's breathing, but she wasn't breathing on her own. Mm-hmm. So, she, you know, time went past. She collapsed. They bring her back. So they're getting ready to rush her so she can get x-rays to find out where, you know, the bullet's at. Now, when I see my daughter, you know, her head is wrapped. Now, have you ever seen a baby watermelon? Not fully grown, but... Yeah. Yeah, man, that's how swole my daughter' head was. But I want to bring you to the spiritual part. When my daughter passed me, and I looked at her, she had a tear coming out of her eye, her left eye. And all of a sudden, it was like that tear was like talking to me, like Daddy helped me. And we we was looking at each other as she rolled past. So they get her in, and the doctor comes and asks me, do I want a seat? I said, no. But I ran away. When she said that, I just broke and ran. And when I ran, I don't know where I was in the hospital, but I fell to my knees and prayed to God out loud and said, God, I need you to save my daughter. Whatever whatever I got to do for you to save my daughter, I will do it. But the last words I said is, let it be your will. So my clergy told me to let it out. Just cry, let it out. So I get back. They say, we're going to try it one more time. And then they called it. You know, they called it at 1.30. I went downstairs, and I told everybody, you know, tears running down my face. She didn't make it. She didn't make it. At the same time, my son that lives with her, because I had her and him by the same woman, mm-hmm. he was downstairs. So I'm thinking, what can I tell him? What what? What can I tell anybody? So I told everybody but him. And when I told my niece, man, she screamed so loud and fell out in the middle of the traffic on Kings Highway, Oncoming traffic. Other people, you know, it just... Right then and there, I told my son, look, we got to go. We got to get in the car. So as we in the car, I said, I got to tell you something, but I don't know how you're going to take it. I said, um, your sister didn't make it. He said, Dad, I know. He said, I already seen it in your face. So as we get into the house, before we left the hospital to get to the house, it just poured down raining. I mean, it was raining so bad, like, it was a a, a, a a level two or three type storm. We get to the house, I'll stand at the door. And right then and there, God watched me, man. I just stood there because he allowed my daughter's spirit to come in my spirit mm. and hug my heart, man, and let me know she was all right.
1: So you felt like there was like some type of healing rain there happening. Right, right then and there, I yeah. was,
2: I was cool. Yeah. But later, I didn't find out that you know I was cool.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing how like hard things happens like that, and there's moments of peace along the way, but sometimes you don't even know it till you look back. Mm. You know, I know you felt the presence of God there, and, and you know the teardrop is very symbolic of of something, you know, something mm. of like there's a big picture here mm-hmm. but you're trying to read into these things and trying to that's so hard when you're when you're hoping for one thing and you're like but in the end you're saying God's will be done and and that's you letting go mm-hmm. of of any control you have that's mm-hmm. as as a as a man that's one of the hardest things to do
2: yes it is that that was the hardest night that i had to go through i mean i've lost a brother i lost a mother i lost a friend cousin all that but when you're allowed to be able to create another piece of you, and you got to let that go before it's time, I only can say it was God that, that, that got me right here right now. And that's the honest truth.
1: I, I believe it. So let's talk about that. Um, let's let's talk about a couple things. Number one, what did you find out later on? What, what actually happened? How did this whole thing transpire?
2: Actually, how it happened is... Um, there were the shooter knew um my niece i mean my daughter's um uncle they kind of went to school together this is after all the smoke and everything sure Sure. getting ready everything settle and things like that so down the line come to find out through the paperwork that they was meant to go looting but it didn't go down like that
1: they wanted to loot at the house so your no loot
2: When all the things was going on and Ferguson, it's in first, it's it's in, it was they still were, going on. It oh, yeah. was still stuff going on from from the from front. Is rioting? Right? It was so rioting. They, they were all that rioting. All they rioting. Still businesses. was going on.
1: So, so wait. They came over to to your um, ex-wife's house, ex so, so um, wife's
2: house or ex? No, it's just my girlfriend. Yeah, ex, yeah, ex ex-girlfriend. yeah. girlfriend's
1: house, and uh, and they were hoping to accomplish what?
2: No, they was going to loot at they, the they strip were just malls. Meeting there. They was oh. meeting. Okay. And what happened is they decided to do something different. So they start hanging out with the guy that's the shooter. So they end up robbing him. And with within the process of robbing him, he came back and he shot the house up.
0: Okay.
1: Like he just dumped a bunch of shots into the house right. ra- randomly from the street.
2: Right right at the end of the driveway. Wow. Nine shots.
1: So he was hoping to vengeance or whatever. Right. He was hoping to do something. not who knows what he knew at the time, right? But uh, but he was just making some stupid choices and oh, some it, horrible choices. It
2: get worse than that, yeah. Because this is where the, the 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 stupidity really come in. At before he came to shoot up my daughter's and son mom house, he just had a son. Oh. He left the hospital after the oh child was goodness. born.
1: It was that day. That day, the shooter.
2: The shooter had a child. Th- that day,
1: he wasted his own life, and he wasted the life of of your daughter as well And in right. just one stupid act. Just premeditated, obviously, but
2: but that's what I was trying to tell people the whole time that there's no way you can get this man second degree murder when he trying to use a newborn child as an alibi when you knew what you was going to do. Sure, and so, I got to live with that.
1: Yeah, what. What actually, what ended up happened to him?
2: He Well, they were supposed to gave him, um, they were supposed to execute him. Death penalty is, that's what they gave him. But he ended up taking a plea deal. And with the plea deal, you know, people get to talking and things like that. And that's when the media and everybody started coming back around. And they was like, um, I was supposed to talk to him.
1: A one-on-one?
2: Not one on, kind of one on one in the courts. Yeah. To ask him why did he do what he did. Oh wow. But it didn't go down like that.
1: But you wanted that opportunity to I have want, that conversation. I was
2: promised that opportunity from. We were supposed to go to trial. We didn't go to trial. We didn't do. We didn't do nothing that they promised. Then the crazy. day like the the attorney? The prosecuting, attorneys, the prosecuting attorneys. attorneys. When I went to go see her and she sat down, I was with my clergy. And, I, and the first thing I said to her was, I don't like how this case is going. What's going on with my daughter's case? This lady <laughs> literally broke down crying because of what I said. So the, per- the officer that was with her grabbed her, threw it through the door. The like door was open, but he threw it through the door, and he pulled his gun out on me. My clergy immediately grabbed me. And told me, James, don't do it. I said, first and foremost, I'm here because I'm the victim. And you're going to pull a gun out on me? What? Who does that? So as they get me outside, they have a mediator that try to calm you down and talk to you. And she trying to explain to me all the stuff they go through. I know what a cop go through every day. I got family members that's cops and detectives. But what does that have to do with me coming to have a conversation of what's going on with this trial? Yeah. So the day she called me and told me we wasn't having a trial is when I had just booked, um um what is the little place you go bouncing? um Out in Chesterfield. Um,
0: yeah, like uh, a Sky Zone. Sky that Zone, that's yeah. what it
2: was. We was doing a celebration for my daughter's birthday, and she called me when I was up there getting ready to pay for it, and she told me we were not going to trial. But she said, I promise you that you'll get an opportunity to talk to him. That opportunity never came up. Yeah. Every time I tried to talk to him, the judge told me to look at him. So with all that being said and done, I come down, um, the news pop up, They asked me how did I feel about the young man getting the 22 years plus the time he already served. I said, my daughter still didn't get justice. I said, no matter how many years you give him, that's not going to bring her back. So I immediately kind of went to work from that. Well, I went to a place that was just dark, you know, that I turned around and just shut myself off from the world for six months.
1: Six months. What do you do during six months to grieve and to, what do you what do you do in that despair?
2: Man, I was up day and night thinking, trying to figure this thing out, trying to figure out why, the what, the how, all that. And then it, it just all of a sudden I get a not, you know, later down the line I you know I get a phone call about doing a panel down in Union, Missouri, to to um basically tell my story. But I kind of choked up at that time. I was fresh. Out of court. And I I made people laugh more than tell a story. I'm not telling a story like I'm telling it right now. Sure. I I didn't have it in me to tell it that way. It it was still me trying to get over the situation. And um, with that being said, one night I was sitting down and the Lord put in my spirit to start a, a, a youth organization. I didn't have that in my mind, so I started going to work. I was going to a lot of events, doing a lot of public speaking. And talking I, about your, your... Talking about my daughter. Your daughter, yeah. But when I was doing it, it was more off impulse. It wasn't really well thought out, like, what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes. So I run into two women at a, a candle visual lantern, lantern candle visual, where we light these lanterns and send them off in the process, you know, for loved ones. And they basically introduced me to a pastor. The pastor tells me um, she got a lot of work done through some lawyers through Washington University. So I end up checking out Washington University, and I end up meeting this, you know, they accepted my story. And I end up meeting this lawyer that was my boss at the Jewish school because I ended up going back to the Jewish school. So they gave me a second chance. So I go back and come to find out the gentleman I was working for, his brother-in-law was my lawyer at the clinic. Small world. So with that being said, I told him everything that I wanted to do. Told him how I wanted it. Man, I had my license for a non-profit within three weeks.
1: they 503 503C? Three, 501C3. In three so weeks. You're you're developing an idea of what you want to do. So tell me, what, what was the plan you had back then of what you wanted to do?
2: What I wanted to do was try to basically create an organization in the honor of my daughter. And the reason why I see a lot of things that I did off an of impulse and it wasn't thought out, it was more me getting a story out that, I felt that I didn't have an opportunity to get it out. So when I started doing all these things, the story never—you know—I never got an opportunity to really tell the story. They just wanted to me to come out because of what happened. Sure,
1: you're like—I think—I think at that point you're kind of like a spokesman or a spokesperson for the thing, and you're mm-hmm. just a picture or a face of. of of tragedy. And so right. I've seen that before. Like like even with uh, Michael Brown, his mom and dad, uh, Leslie McSpadden and uh, Michael Brown Sr. whatever, they were just poster child. and Yeah. For the, I mean, it can almost
0: be predatory the way that people want to cling on to your story mm-hmm. and use you to further their agenda. Even if it's a good agenda. Right. I mean, you're still a person. You have a story. And to and use you, that's it could be rough.
2: And that's how it was because a lot of people, the story went worldwide it went international. I still got clips from when they was talking about it in China and when I say this thing blew up, it was on CNN, BT, all type of stuff. I never wanted that. I just wanted the truth. I wanted to get the truth out. So, with that being said, I got the 501C3. I started doing my thing, start getting out here, and all of a sudden I realized it came to a point that God straight shut that organization down because I started forgetting about him. I started getting the big head because I'm out here and I'm people were doing things for me and, oh, I'm telling my wife, it's our time, it's our time. And the whole time it wasn't. When I say nobody called on me for anything, they didn't. But when I started focusing back on God, that's when he started opening the doors, but we skipped a major, major part
1: oh, go that back to that, it then.
2: that that really brought me back to reality. When we when they called it at one thirty a.m. for my daughter Jamila, right? Mm-hmm. Mind you, I told y'all my daughter my wife was pregnant. We buried Jamila August twenty September twenty My daughter Hope was born at one thirty p.m. Wow. It's a splitting image of her sister.
0: Yeah. That's and
2: that's why when y'all asked about what we want to talk about tonight and I said redemption. Redemption. That was my redemption.
1: It's amazing. Like and I've seen that before where like you're in a story and I've had good friends pass away and then um right around the heels of that, like you said, there's a there's a new birth birth that happens. And these two lives will never know each other. My mom passed away mm-hmm. um, uh, two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and right before she passed away, there was a new grandchild born, one of her grandchildren, She got to meet the child one time, and then she went on to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was our redemption, is she got, to she got to love on this child for one like, little afternoon play date, mm-hmm. and then that was it. My mom was gone after that. She got one afternoon with her grandson. And so the, for us, that was the redemption story there. Is like, okay, you know, God's taking a life, but there's new life added right. to the... And it, it, it is beautiful. Man. It is be, like what you're talking about. It's That's a beautiful story.
2: Because the thing about it is, Jamila knew she had a sister coming. She knew it. And it's, it's wild because I can show hope a picture of her. Before anybody started telling her who she was, she immediately said, that's my sister. So... Mila could have visited her in the spirit. I don't know, but she acts so much like her. I mean, everything she do is like her. The things that, in the relationship that Mila and I had, it's like she do it. But that's when I realized, when God decided to give me this organization, I realized right then and there that he gave me the gift to comfort. And that's what I do with this program. I I help kids deal with the aftermath of gun violence, being a victim of gun violence or any type of violence.
1: So let's talk about that organization. So you have an organization. It was started, I guess, roughly four or five years ago, and then you mm-hmm. had a new focus after a little bit. Um, and then your, your uh, organization is called Unsung Angels. Mm-hmm. The website's is unsungangels9.org. Your daughter was nine when she passed away. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you, it says youth mentoring program. What do you actually do? What, 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 what's your focus of that?
2: Well, what I do is within the program, that's why I say it's more organized now, because it's a six week program. We just decided to turn it into a summer program because it got kind of overwhelming trying to work and every Saturday go and do this, 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 and this. So I kind of put a twist on what I do And the things I've seen in the the children and the family members that I talk to. The first two weeks of the program, we bring the kids in like a meet and greet, where they meet each other, tell each other their own story.
1: How many kids do you have in a program usually?
2: It varies.
1: So like two to
2: ten? Yeah. Sometimes I can have 20. Wow. Sometimes. One time I had close to 30 kids.
0: This is all... Yeah, so. yeah these these are all gun vic, gun violence victims people near them related to related. them or related friends
2: friends, friends. what's okay. the uh,
0: what's the age range of that group
2: sometimes it's from maybe seven sometimes it lead up to twenty mm-hmm. 21. And is this like
0: an ongoing program, or is this yeah, something this, they this come is an in ongoing for? Program. So like, if they come in at, at eight or nine, like they can hang out for ten years and be a part of the program, or is it something you go once through and graduate out
2: of? Once you're unsigned angels, you always unsung okay. angels. Yeah. So, so is the
0: idea
1: to to uh, get them through through the program, and then after a while, they'll be able to kind of teach the program itself? Is that the, kind of one of those concepts?
2: Basically, the concept because the third and fourth week is that's where we bring in different resources. So we don't just structure on or focus on just that child. We focus on the child and the family to see what the needs are. What can we do? Right now, I, I've been getting a phone call all day from a young lady who wanted to volunteer because we do community service. If Anything I can do to help these children, I, have expo- I try to expose them to things they've never been to or been around. I've taken them, like you said, sky zone. Kids never been there. We take them on trips. We take them to museums. Um, and then this is the beauty of the program. Y'all really going to like it.
0: I'm this ready part. for it. Yeah. yeah, I like the beauty.
2: The last fifth and sixth week is what I've been doing all my life, besides the new job, is I teach them culinary arts. Oh, you Teach them how to cook, huh? Teach them how to cook. You know, I, I believe you're you're a Baptist, aren't you? <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I'm a spirit, a man that follow the spirit. Got it. well, <laughs> the Baptists like to cook a lot. That's the reason <laughs> one of those guys. You, you well, sp- my pastor is a Baptist. Oh, you do, do you got, got a one.
0: specialty? What are you cooking usually?
2: Man, I cook it all. I can cook kosher. I can cook Asian. Cook whatever. But this is where the beauty come in. At my daughter always wanted to help people, so I took her reality because the last. Project she did before she transitioned is called Me, and she wanted to either be a lawyer or a teacher.
1: This is your daughter that this passed is away. The
2: one that passed away. Okay. Because she was, you know, she was on the honor roll. She yeah. was a praise dancer. She was in a church choir. So she she ain't no telling where she would have been. But she loved to cook. Every time I cook, she in the kitchen. Oh. Every time my mom cooks, she in the kitchen. So our new banner that's going to come out is going to be a picture of her and her her hands in a pan full of potatoes Hmm. because she loved to cook. So I just took what she loved doing, and I tell people Mila was just love, man. She don't care what color you are, how mad you are. She'll show you love no matter what. You can, you can talk bad about her, or whatever, she'll still show you love.
1: My children are great, aren't they? Yeah. They still love regardless of how <laughs> crappy people can be.
2: So with, with me teaching them this culinary arts, I teach them how to cook. I teach them how to serve. I teach them how to plate, decorate, break down. And we showcase this at Senior Independent Living, Specialty Hospital for Children or we'll go take over a soup kitchen. So the kids earn their shelf jackets, they serve in uniforms. I'm not going to give them anything. They they earn it. I gotcha. But I still teach them the word of God at the same time. I My family is a family-oriented organization. And that's why I say my wife pushed me because there have been many times that I wanted to give up on that organization. Regardless of all the work I did, and then all of a sudden I meet Julius. Julius, send me an email. And then he tell me about you guys. Oh,
1: we're hanging out together, that's why. <laughs> yeah. You know what I like about what you said, James, is this. Um, so I'm all about, I, I really like your personality, but I like that you're creating opportunities for people that wouldn't normally have opportunities. And so a lot of people grow up in one area, they never get leave that area. Mm-hmm. You know, they never go, you know, we have so many good resources here in the Midwest, and St. Louis, we have the Science Center, the... The museums we have, uh, and they're all free. Most right. of these, all these amazing things, but some of the kids just never get to those places. And then you talk about like serving, and you talk about like opening their world up to not just taking but giving away. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they're the person that can serve. They're the person that can they can that can sing. They're the person that can smile and hear listen to a story. And so what you're doing is you're creating an opportunity for a person really to enter into a whole different characters of. Things they never knew they could do. Right. And people, I'm sure you hear this all the time, I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to, well, how does an oven work? How do, How does how do you cut up stuff? All these you know, things. But you're like, yeah, just one step at a time. Just keep mm-hmm. on one step at a time. And then you t- you're teaching them a trade. And you're, what you're doing is you're refocusing their energy of what they have on something that's calming, that's soothing, that's valuable. And then they can mm-hmm. go out in the world and showcase this thing mm-hmm. to other people. And so... Uh, I, I think what you're doing is extremely valuable. I think that's, that's amazing because uh, people just need their, their eyes and their mind opened up to new things. And then you're also sprinkling in you know, the truth of the Word of God. And that's a, that's a whole other thing. That's, you know, then now you're talking about spiritual things and getting control of your emotions and getting control of your destiny and where your hope comes from. And so your, your, your uh, story really resonates really, really well. Yeah, I mean, it's
0: a beautiful picture, too, because I I don't know the statistics, you probably know better than I do, but I got to think a lot of people who have their life touched by that type of violence Mm -hmm. actually find their way back into it if people Mm -hmm. don't keep them out of it, Right. and that's like the beautiful part of what you're doing is you're, I mean, in some ways, you're saving probably a lot of these people from a life where they'd go right back into that out of anger, out of fear, out of just not knowing what else to do, and you're giving them the tools there, and... I mean to do that in honor of Jamila like that. I mean like that's the most beautiful thing I can think of is you're in a lot of ways you're blowing up the value of her life to show like cuz you don't do this without her. Without yeah. her, you know, you're you're the guy who's working, right. you're taking care of your kids, you're a good guy. But but because of her it's like this all falls back onto her and like man that's just a beautiful picture of of like creating value and showing like she had such a huge impact in this world she did. Short life. Huge impact. Right.
1: And yeah, do, and, and, and you could have taken that energy, and you could have been bitter, which you probably were sometimes. You could have been resentful, which you were probably were sometimes. You could have been angry. You could have been mad. You could have gone and got a weapon and just said, screw it, I'm going to do whatever I want. You could have done so many things, but what you did is you turned a story of tragedy, and you turned it into something of beauty, and you're still making it something beauty. I mean, you just didn't not a one-time thing. You're still... We're five years after this date, or four and a half years, and, and you're still making it a thing of beauty. How many kids have gone through the program with you guys um, so far? If you had to guess, to be to honest,
2: talk? I don't really keep up with it okay. because it's more of one, one. Yeah, you, you you guys went to Starbucks before, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I used to work at Starbucks right on Graham Road. You know, did the little barista thing for a minute. We go by word of mouth. Every phone call I get, somebody say, somebody gave me this phone number to call. And when I get done talking to them, they be like, well, how do I sign up? I said, well, you go to our website and you touch supporters. And whatever you want to do, if you want to volunteer, if you want to get in the program, if you want to donate, whatever you want to do is up to you. My job is not to turn nobody away. My goal is to take this organization to a level to where I know we need uh, funds to to do this situation, but when you got God in the midst of it, He gonna take care of it all. So I want to make this program not just free, but free. The people that I bring in from I I didn't did things. I didn't took kids to Shriners Hospital. Got a little partnership with Shriners Hospital, where Easter. We gave over 200 Easter baskets away. I didn't do it. The kids did it. Gave every kid in that hospital an Easter basket, even the staff. Week later, the man that fell in love with what we was doing passed away. It, it went so big that they wanted me to meet the big, big people at Shriners Hospital. Huh. I have, like you look at, like you say, the Science Center. I've, I've done the science center matter of fact just last year i might have had eight or nine kids we was in one of the biggest parades that st louis do to take thanksgiving and, and christmas parade mm-hmm. you'll see us on there mm-hmm. and and it's like i just got an email the other day they invited us to come do the fourth of july parade i'm goes. looking for volunteers now so you, got,
1: <laughs> so you get kids so, off the street and you change your focus, and you give them—you uh, know—they're kids that are struggling with some um, probably depression or something from losing a loved one—and then mm. you you give them something new to do, and all of a sudden they're walking down the streets of St. Louis and they're shaking hands and throwing candy. Yeah. You know,
2: that's—I uh, I like it. I now, love it. It's now, beautiful. I think, now think about this: most of the kids, even us as men, are just individuals. Period. Just need somebody to talk to. That's all I am. It's just somebody to talk to. Somebody that been through something, because how can I tell you something if I haven't been through it? How can I help comfort you if I haven't been through it? I haven't been through everything, but I know the value of love and death. I know the ups and downs, the pain and heartache of what it will cause, the type of destruction that it will bring in a person's life. And it don't just have to be a kid. I mentor fathers. I'm actually an alumni from Father Support. I go help out there every now and then. So wherever I can get my hands to somebody that's hurting, that's where I see myself at.
1: I like it. When, I, when you said that, I was thinking of the, uh, the verse, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life to the full. And, uh, and what you're doing is you're creating a situation where people can find life and find hope. Mm-hmm. In, in an area where it's a lot of desolation. Right. And so uh, I really appreciate that. Thanks for coming on uh, Thank the you. Life After yeah. Bliss podcast and Thank telling you. your story.
0: Yeah, so your organization, Unsung Angels, um, you go to unsungangels9.org. Um, as you said, I guess the best things to do is if you want to volunteer, you need volunteers. If you want to donate, you, know, you, you donate. need donations. Uh, and then obviously if you can benefit from the program and you need a resource, that's what you're there for. Right. Is there anything else that people can do to get involved?
2: Um, basically, just be the change. You know, if, if you want to get involved with Unsung Angels, like you say, go to, uh, you know, unsungangels9.org. We're on all social media outlets. Whatever you feel that you need help in or struggling in, I'm not saying we the only organization out there, but we are one of the genuine. Organizations that when we say we do, we do. So however you see fit, but let God lead you in it. And we just be the backbone.
0: I like that. Nothing to add to that.
2: Cool. Well, thank you so much, James. I really
1: appreciate you being on the podcast. Uh, thanks for listening to the Life After Bliss podcast. You can find us on Spotify, on Apple, anywhere there's a platform for podcasts. And uh, you can drop us an email at lifeafterbliss at gmail.com if you want to reach out to us. And uh, this will be the end of our show. We have a sponsor today. We
0: do. Shout out to Sweet Inspirations Bakery. Yeah, Sweet
1: Inspirations. They're based out of O'Fallon, Missouri. They dropped off a ton of treats for us, so we're gonna get ready to go have some treats and uh, hopefully send James home with some for his family too. So,
0: no thanks for listening to the Life After Bliss podcast. Tune in next time.
1: We'll talk to you soon. Bye.